Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We've all heard God can fix what the world has broken. It sounds great, and we believe it. But somehow we still feel broken. I know God can, but how? Why do we still feel shame and relive pain? This is Unbroken, an intensely practical series designed to connect the dots between what we know God can do and actually experiencing it. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? You're having fun? So, hey, before we get into the message, Wednesday night, who's coming to the Life Group launch party? That was weak. Let's try that again. We're having a good southern fish fry. Who's coming to that? Yeah, there we go. Vegans, bring your own. I'm just kidding. We love you. We'll find something for you. Anyway, so hey, do want to point out, you know, that video you just saw. Uh, Craig didn't wait till he was at Grace Life for 10 years. Matter of fact, uh, he hasn't been here for 10 years. And, and I know some of you think, well, you know, that is for other people. Other people can make a difference. Other people can lead. And and I just want to tell you, that kind of goes back to what we preached on last week, how the enemy's whispering little things in your ear. You're not good enough. Who are you? You couldn't do this. You couldn't make a difference. And that is not the voice of God. We need all of us coming together to make a difference. We, We can't do this with just a handful of people. It's all of us and sharing what God has put in you. That group of men, this is just one group that gets together that I want to highlight just what they do. They get together every Thursday, and you know our life groups are supposed to start and stop. And they, their relationships grew so strong, they never stopped. And they've just kept going through holidays and summers. And, and, and they even needed to get together so much when their Thursday group fell on a Thanksgiving, which it tends to do that on Thursdays. They said, well, can we meet a day early and meet on Wednesday instead? They didn't even want to miss a week, so all the men rearranged their work schedules. That's the power of being in a group, and that's the power that you can have and the influence you can have in someone's life when you realize how God can use you. So I want to encourage you. It is not too late to lead a group because we do everything digitally now. We don't have to send things to print two weeks in advance. So you can go home and still register a group today. Uh, you know, for men, for women, for other things that we do, we'd love to have a lot of men's and women's groups because we think that's powerful when we can get together uh, with like-minded brothers and sisters and what we're going through in life in the family of God. Sound good? So life group leader training tonight. Just show up. We'll be here. I'd love to see you. All right, we're in a series, we're actually on part three of a series we've been doing called Unbroken. And the idea behind this series is that there are so many things that we know and believe are true about God, about how He can heal and He can make whole everything that has been broken in our lives and in our souls because of this messed up world. We know it, we believe it, but we don't always experience it. Sometimes it feels like there's just a disconnect. And the goal for this series has been to take four topics, four things that we all deal with and we all struggle with, and to see if we can find a practical, tangible answer that when you leave the doors, you can take something with you that says, I can get a victory in this area now. I can beat this thing that has been beating me for so long. So we started off the series with this light, little lighthearted topic, shame. That was fun, wasn't it? And then we moved in, the second part of the series went to the idea of condemnation. That was, that was a light one as well. And this week I want to touch on something else. I want to touch on how we can be healed and how we can be made whole when things happen to us. When we've been wronged, when we've been hurt, or maybe the best word to use is when we've been a victim. I don't know about you, but I don't like being a victim. I don't like feeling like I'm in a situation of being a victim. 
And anytime I feel like I am really small in a really big system or I feel like I'm being unjustly treated and justice is too far away, my natural response is anger. Like I want to pour out wrath on anybody involved. And, and so that's why God did not give me like the X-Men properties or supernatural powers. There, there's this supernatural superhero, not supernatural, superhero like he can see with his eyes and like burn things. Is that Cyclops? I think is what they told me in the first or Cyclops. There you, go. you know, I don't know that, but that's, that's good. That's why God didn't make me Cyclops. There'd be a lot of little crispy things all over the sidewalks everywhere you go. I can't handle I was going through immigration in a country recently, and I won't name any names because it's on the internet, but this one country didn't like another country that had a stamp in my passport. And so they decided that they would show me how much they didn't like the other country that I had visited, and they detained me for three hours. Yeah, three hours. My plane was boarding when I got out. It was, I didn't even think I was going to make the plane because, I mean, how often do you, you make a plane if you're held for three hours? They x-rayed even my granola bars three times. I was like, Man, and I was getting mad, too. I, I got in some guy's face. I mean, this, you know, people have guns and prisons in other countries. I don't know what I was thinking. I said, who do you think you are? You? I mean, I'm just, ah, just. And the reason for it is because we are created by a just God in his image. And so when our sense of justice is violated, when we're watching other people go through things, our justice kicks in and we want to make things right for them. And then when we're violated, your sense of justice kicks in like steroids. I mean, you're ready to go off on people. And so what I want to ask today is, is, do you think that you struggle with the idea of being a victim? And many of you may say, no, no, I really don't. Because the, the types of things that come to your mind, when I say, let's talk about being a victim, the, the things that come to your mind are the things you read about in the news and in the headlines and since we've got young people in the room, I'm not even going to get deep into the kinds of examples, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Types of abuse that we don't even want to label and, and, and abuse of things that are crimes and, and, and just, just horrific things that do happen in our world today. And I meet with some of these people and I counsel with some of them. And what has happened to them is that what occurred in, earlier in their life that made them a victim becomes a victim mentality. It becomes their identity. They start to live out of this. And I wanted to see them become free. I wanted to help them. But I knew as I was putting this message together, it would be a message for a few. Because not everyone in here has struggled with one of those horrific things that you see in the headlines. So I started thinking, maybe I need to change the topic because I don't like to stand up and preach to only a few of the people in the room. I want to say things that will help every single one of us. I want to talk about something that's relevant to all of us. And so I was praying over the idea of changing this topic, thinking that maybe some of us do not struggle with a victim mentality, because again, I had headlines only in my head. God spoke one word to me. One word that every single one of us struggles with. And as soon as he said this word, I went, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this. We need to talk about this. I'll come back to that word in a little bit. How do you recognize if you struggle with a victim mentality in your own life being broken in your own soul. I'm just going to read a couple of questions. I could probably read 100 and eventually get everybody, but just see if any of these identify with you. Are you still hurt about things that happened to you years or even decades ago when the people who did them might not even be on the earth anymore? Is there something that happened to you 
that is now the reason you give either yourself or others for why you are the way you are? It's your excuse. Do you struggle to forgive someone when they've hurt you? Do you often try to reason with how your life would be so much different if this person had not done that to you? All right, if any of those four and any of that kind of thinking, like I said, we could do that all day, begin to identify with us, then then I think you'll see we all struggle with the victim mentality a little bit more than you might think. It, It may not always be the types of things that you see in the headlines. And so our process we're going to go through for today is really just two little simple things. First of all, if we're going to become unbroken, we've got to first understand how we develop this victim mentality in our lives. We've got to understand how we got where we are. And and that's going to seem a little rough, like it's not an encouraging thing to look at. Is that okay if I go ahead and tell you up front as we look at it? It's not one of those pat you on the back kind of messages. And so as we're dissecting how we got here, it'll be a bit of a ride. But we've got to do that. We've got to know how we got here so that the second thing is we can learn how to respond differently to the things that hurt us. That's our goal for today. That's what we're doing. But before I get into that, I want to be extremely clear. I don't want anybody walking out in about three minutes. I want to be extremely clear that there are different degrees of the hurts and the wounds and the experiences we go through. And there are some things that I'm going to label, not a clinical term, just the way I'm going to say it, traumatic events. Some of us have been through things in our lives that we, we don't want to see any other human ever go through again. There are types of abuse and types of things that have occurred, things that we do read about in the headlines, and unfortunately some of us have been through those. Deep, horrific, traumatic things. And then there are other types of victims, and, and I'm going to say that's everyday events that we go through. And, and so the everyday things can be something like favoritism, where your boss promotes his cousin to the job you rightly deserved just because he's his cousin. Even though you're better, you know better, you work harder, but he gets the raise and you got the shaft, and that's just the way that works. Or maybe something like road rage. Someone cuts you off, they did something wrong, and yet they shout at you for it, Right? And these are just everyday things. I went through one of these everyday things this past week. We're back to school. Y'all know that? Taking kids back to school? I'm the school bus driver for our three small kids. And there is psycho crazy lady that also has a kid at my school. So the first day she did this, I gave her the benefit of the doubt and thought, okay, she's just, just having a bad day or something. I pulled up to the stop sign. And she got right behind me and blew her horn and showed me one of her most preferable fingers. Only because I stopped. She didn't want to and hadn't planned on it. Came that close to it and then blew it. And I'm like, I felt like a victim. I'm like, I want to get out and yell at her. Like, excuse me, who do you think you are? I'm doing what's right. You're doing what's wrong. Who do you think you are? Let it go. The next day, the next day, I see the lady coming at me. Our timing's a little bit different. And, and, and I'm supposed to turn left at the stop sign. And this time, the lady doesn't even stop for the stop sign, which is a whole other message on when you hear that little thing inside your head going, you better wait a second, that's the Holy Spirit, so you know, because otherwise we would have met each other again. And I'm thinking, who does she think she is? Not even stopping for a stop sign. There's four of them. It's a four-way stop sign. How do you miss all four of them? Here's what I want to be extremely clear about. 
being wronged by someone who does not know what a stop sign is and the traumatic events that some of you have been through in your life, I in no way am trying to say they're the same. The hurt, the experiences, the things that some of us have been through, I do not want to minimalize that type of pain. I do not want to minimalize the evil and the hurt that comes from that. So as I'm speaking today, I don't want to dig up something that's really old and really painful, and I don't want you to think that I'm treating it just like I do the people who are offended in traffic. But what I do want to do today is make very clear that although the process for healing might be a little more complicated for one and a little longer for one, the process has the exact same biblical foundation. And that's what I want to touch on today, that for Christians we have the exact same role model for how we should respond when we're hurt, regardless of how the degree of that hurt. And before I go on and get into the message, the final thing I want to say is some of you, what you have experienced will require a longer, more detailed process to get to the victory that we're going to talk about today, and you may need help. Some of you remain trapped and unable to get the victory that we know God has for us because we don't reach out. And God has given us some great Christian counselors and therapists and psychiatrists that really can help us, and they can blend what the Bible says with their deep understanding of your soul. And I do want to recommend that if you keep finding God's healing over there and you over here, maybe you need to ask the correct people for help. And so with that being said, we're going to jump into our message today because we're going to look at someone who has been victimized more and worse than anyone else. Anybody want to guess who that was? Jesus. And although this passage that I'm going to look at is something we normally only look at at Easter, we're going to look at Jesus on the cross, but we're going to be selective about the passage because, first of all, that's, that's heavy and that's deep. And I don't know about all of you, but I have a hard time. I, I cry almost every time I'm doing my morning devotions and get to the end of the Gospels where, where this is. And so for the sake of actually trying to be able to preach to you, we're going to just hit some highlight verses. So we're in Luke 23, if you want to turn there with me, and we're going to start in verse 20. And let me set the stage for you. At this point, Jesus has already been arrested. He's already been accused. He's already got people saying things about him that are not true. And he's come to a government official named Pilate who is looking at him and saying, I'm not even sure why you're here. And so Pilate has now tried to make a last-ditch effort to redeem this whole screwed-up situation. And so he comes outside in front of this crowd of people. He's got Jesus with him, and here's where we pick up the story. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And so a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I felt no guilt in him deserving death. I, I, I therefore will punish him and let him go. I mean, geez, can y'all just imagine at that moment? I mean, if you're Jesus, you're standing there going, yeah, the government official says I'm innocent. He's going to let me go. He's got what? Punish? Wait a minute. Since when does declare innocent and punish come into play here? I mean, this guy is going to victimize Jesus even if he thinks he's He's innocent. The good news for Jesus would be to get punished brutally and let go. Unfortunately, as we know how the story goes, he doesn't even get that. It gets much worse. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. That should resonate with some of us. 
That should be the place where, you know, you feel like some of the times the things that happen to you, it's a really big world, a really big system, or maybe you were really small physically and that person was really big. Maybe you were really young and they had more power. Maybe it's a boss and you're an employee and, and you just feel like the wrong voices prevail all the time. I don't expect a lot of raised hands today for our type of message, but I mean, I think we all know what that feels like. Their voices prevailed, the wrong voices, voices demanding evil. And so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted and he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. You want to talk about being victimized? I mean, we're looking at someone here who, first of all, was declared innocent. He was given over to the desires and the will of a corrupt majority. Can anybody identify with that? I mean, look at our headlines today at the number of people that are in the streets and are protesting and are trying to bring about change because there are corrupt majorities and there are sometimes just corrupt people and, and things just go wrong. And we know what that feels like to see what Jesus went through. He was misunderstood. He was wrongly accused. And some of us have experienced this. The people who could have done justice on his behalf they didn't. They just chose not to. Some of them weren't even around at this point. He was voted against, and he lost. He was actually traded for an evil man. Jesus was clearly a victim. And in order for us to walk away from the victim mentality that, that plagues our lives sometimes, what I need to walk you through at least the way that I've, I've seen it outlined for me, is four steps of a process that the enemy lures us into. It's kind of like, here's the first one. We take the bait. Here's the next one. We take, and he walks us through these four things that we ultimately end up in a victim mentality. And I'm going to show you, as Jesus faced these same four opportunities, how he responded. Here's the very first thing that you, me, Jesus, every victim has in common it begins here, we've been wronged, we've been hurt, we've been violated, and all of it undeservedly. Something has happened to you that you should not have had to go through. Now this is where we separate from what Jesus does. While we have point number one in common, everything else where the enemy tries to lure us, we follow the path, humanly speaking, most of the time. Jesus did something completely different. I want us to look at that because, see, here's what is important for you to understand. At the first, where the event happens in your life, everything that happens after that moment determines whether we have been a victim for a moment or we will become a victim for life. Do you understand the difference? The way that we respond after the event has happened to us will determine if we've been a victim for a moment or if we'll be a victim for life. So let's continue. Verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. And I hope that the same is true for you and I when things happen. You see, what we're supposed to do is to have some people who come alongside of us and say, I am so sorry, I just heard. You should have friends that support you. You should have people that surround you at this point and say, I'm sorry for what you're going through. The problem 
when this happens, is for most of us, with the help of people around us, we proceed to the next step, which is we place a significant focus on what has happened. Because the crowds come around us saying, oh, I'm so sorry for you, and I'm weeping for you, and I'm lamenting for you, and I'm mourning for you, and I, I just can't believe you're wronged like this. And what begins to happen in our lives, I got some help designing this series from some professionals in the Christian therapy field, and, and they told me the clinical term for what I was about to talk about right here, and it's, it's called secondary game. It's when we begin to get something else from this because of what has happened to us. So let me stop and explain. Every single one of us, we're, there are things we're supposed to have in our lives, like value. Don't you think every single one of us should have value? That we should be valued as God's creation and and he made us, and he made us with worth? Is that true? That, yeah, that shouldn't be a trick question. Every one of us should have a certain amount of attention in our lives. We should have people that regard us and are willing to listen when we speak and, and hear what we have to say. We each need a certain amount of attention from others. And every single one of us needs some validation. We need someone to say, good job. You rock. You're great at that. Every single one of us needs these. And we're supposed to have the value and the, the validation and, and the attention. The problem is that, if you know, we don't always get it. Some of us don't get it, and then we don't get it in the right ways. Maybe your parents were just busy when you were growing up. Maybe there weren't enough, hey son, good job. Maybe there wasn't enough validation in who you were. Maybe your parents didn't even understand what they were saying. Maybe they weren't Christians, or maybe they were just broken themselves. And so when, when you said something like, I'm really good at baseball, I want to grow up and play baseball, and they say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and you didn't get validation. Maybe they really just wanted something else for you, but they didn't know how to express that. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a friend. Somewhere along the way, every single one of us needed some value we didn't get. We needed some attention we didn't get. We needed the... And so what happens when we become a victim? And suddenly the crowds surround us just like they were doing Jesus and they lament for you and they have sympathy for you and they have pity for you. And sadly, we get something we haven't been getting. We get attention. And it fills a hole inside of us that should have rightly been filled. Don't misunderstand. It should have been filled. Suddenly we get validation as a person. You should not have gone through that. You're right. You're the first person that treated me like I deserve something in my life. Thank you. You deserved better. You're right. I am worth more. I do deserve more value. And we begin to feed off of the attention and the value and the validation that comes from what happened to us. But here's where the enemy traps us, and he traps us so well. Because in order for anything to be true, it's got to be tempting. For, oh, I'm sorry, for anything to be tempting, it's got to be true, right? At least to have true. And so the enemy takes things that we should have and that we need, and he kind of twists them. I mean, if being a victim were completely miserable, we'd all just walk away from it, right? But he tricks us and he lures us by filling some holes in our lives that, that we can't get filled in another way. And here's the warning. If you get 
your attention and your value and your validation as a person based on what has happened to you, then you always have to live in what has happened to you to experience the attention, the value, and the validation. Does that make sense? We see this, I mean, let's just take an analogy that's, that's not as deep. We see this all the time. You know, somebody is the CEO of a corporation. They walk in the door and everybody, yes, sir, to the general, yes, sir. You know, I mean, you can drive through gates that are closed to outsiders and everything else. You've got the office only few people ever get into. And then you retire. And your value is like, what? All of your value, all of your validation wasn't even in who you were. It was in a title on your business card or an emblem on your uniform. Or whatever the story is. And so the same thing happens. We get those things simply from becoming a victim. But here's the truth. Since we've been so starved for these things, we will actually deny healing in order to keep them. That's one of the first realities we need to touch on. We will voluntarily say no thank you to the healing process because we know that if we go back to before this event happened to us, yeah, at least that hadn't happened, but, but people ignored me back then. I felt worthless back then. I felt like nobody knew who I was, at least now when I walk in the room, people are, oh, I'm so sorry, can I help you? Can I? And I love Jesus' response. But turning to them, he said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. I mean, the reality, and, and to be fair, theologically, he was saying, you have no idea what is coming. You have no idea what you're about to face. My father's got me. Don't worry about me. But that really is the same message that we need to turn to someone else. I appreciate your support, but I'm not getting my validation from you. I'm getting it from him. I know I've just been through something tough, and thank you for praying for me. Thank you for caring for me. But my Father will take care of me. You don't need to weep for me. My God will back up who he made me to be. He will give me the value that I need. And I know how hard that is. I know it is easy to stand here and say it's one of the hardest things in the world to do, but that is why the victim mentality that so many of us live with, that's why it is so deceitful. Because we feel good for the first time in our lives. Yeah, we had to go through something bad to get here, but we feel good about the things that we're getting. Let's go on. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And some of the most famous words we all know that made no sense to any of us as humans, Jesus turned and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, we do not do what Jesus does at this point. For us at this point, we do the exact opposite. We believe that seeing justice, seeing justice is essential to receiving healing. It's the third one. We believe that seeing justice is essential to receiving healing. I sit with people all the time, talking with them about things that they've been hurt with, things that they've been through in their lives. 
and they are trapped in saying, well, you know, when the court case is over, when they're declared guilty, I think I'll be, no, no, you can't wait on that. When so-and-so is finally called out, when someone else, when you see the front page of the papers naming this person, I'll be free, no. We can't wait for justice on our terms. Jesus' response was simply to forgive. And, and his main reason for forgiving, for forgiving is one of our two. We've got two reasons to forgive. The first one is this. There are people. There are people. We've heard it said before. Hurt people hurt people. Jesus was smart enough to realize, why should I be angry at this broken, fallen person who is deceived by the enemy into doing his bidding? They don't even know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they do. I'm certainly not going to hold a grudge against somebody who doesn't even know what they do. They don't even know how deceived they are. They don't even know how trapped they are. I have pity for them, not hate. And all too often, we, the people around us that hurt us, I mean, let's just stop and think for a minute. Someone who would do to you that horrific thing that happened when you were a child, they had to be under the influence of the enemy. No human as a pure human, would do that. But only in a fallen nature deceived by the enemy. We've got to stop hating a broken person for doing what a broken person does. But second of all, Jesus didn't have this one. We have this one. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And what I'm about to say theologically is true, but experientially going to hurt some of you. Especially if what happened to you was really bad. But none of us have ever been hurt to the degree that we've hurt our God. None of us have been offended in our humanity as great as we have offended God in his holiness. So if he can forgive us, we can forgive what has happened to us. And by the way, that is the word. That's the word I said I would come back to when I was praying about changing the topic, thinking maybe everybody here hasn't struggled with a victim mentality. God said, forgive. He wasn't telling me to forgive somebody. He said, forgive. By golly, you're right. There's not a person in this room that can say that they forgive freely all the time and never struggle with forgiveness. And why do we struggle to forgive? Because we've got a victim mentality. I've been wronged. I've been wronged. And by God, you're going to pay for what you did. And, and, and I get a lot of attention out of what you owe me. I've got some friends that look at you when you walk down the street and they, 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 they feel for me. I'm getting some validation as a good person because of what you did to me. Our simple unwillingness to forgive is actually a deep-rooted victim mentality. And at this point, I want to touch on what we do see in our world today. We see all of these protests. We see retaliation. We see groups of people being divided. And none of it seems to be helping. At least I think we can agree on that. It only gets worse, right? More protest. And I want to make this very clear. God calls us to defend and to do justice. He does. You just can't do it as a victim. You have to do it as a healer. Because when you go out shouting for justice as a victim, what you really are after is revenge, and revenge never heals. And that's why so much of what we see on the news today and the headlines that we read about and the people when they're protesting and, they're, and it never seems to help, 
because we've got a whole lot of victims out for revenge instead of people trying to bring healing and actual solutions. And I'm not trying to pick sides. I hope you guys understand what I'm saying by that. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And and we indeed justly, we, we actually did what we are here for. This guy's innocent. For we're receiving the the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And this is the end of the process that the enemy lures us into. And that is that we let what happened to us become our identity. We let what happened to us become our identity. I'm on the board of an organization that rescues minor females from human trafficking. And we have people in to speak. And one of the first things that I had to learn when I started learning about human trafficking and working with human trafficking is when someone comes to speak, we said, oh, it'd be great at this event if we could get a victim to come and speak. And they said, no, 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 no. We never have victims speak. We have survivors speak. You don't want anyone speaking whose identity is that of a victim. That's not going well for anybody. You see, here's what happened. The first thing they did was say, let's change Jesus' identity. Let's make him a criminal. We're going to give him a criminal's punishment publicly. We're going to put him in the middle of two criminals. We're going to make it as clear as we can to everybody. His identity is a criminal. They tried to change his identity. And then the criminal beside him wanted to mess with his identity. Hey, wait a minute. I know who you said you were. You said you were the the, the Messiah, the Christ. Okay, now by my record keeping, that dude is powerful. So let's talk about your identity. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to distort your identity, and I want you to get the three of us down off of this cross. I want you to become known for the person who was wrongly persecuted and then vindicated himself publicly by squashing everybody like a bug. That's what he was trying to say. I want you to go down in history with an identity that says the one who got retribution. But Jesus said, no. You see, I had an identity before this whole plan began. And I'm going to hold on to my identity and I'm going to fulfill my identity. My identity is not to reveal my power by retribution. My identity is to reveal my power by salvation. I'm a savior. I am the savior. He stuck to the identity that the father had given him, not the one that the event was trying to give to him. The question, something wrong has happened to you in your life. Something evil and hurtful has happened to you in your life. The question, has that become your identity? Are you defined more by what has happened to you than you are by who God created you to be? Is the essence of who you are simply a combination of what has happened to you in your life? So, here's the truth. The thing that I want you to remember, the thing that you can write on your refrigerator, You can't be the victim and the victor. You can't be both the victim and the victor. 
What makes us so angry when our sense of justice is rising up is we know what the Bible says about us. You are more than conquerors in Christ. And you stand there going, I don't feel like a conqueror right now. Matter of fact, I'm being so wrongly treated and things are going so wrong right now. I'm not even sure God's paying attention. I don't feel like a conqueror. Well, you can't be the victor while you're holding on to the identity of the victim. You can't be both. I love that song that we were just singing. You didn't know what I was going to preach about, but I mean, I'm sitting here just reading these words. Your name, your name is victory. That's what Jesus' identity is. It's not your name is God that got mad on the cross and beat everybody up. No, no, your name is victory. Victory. The resurrected Christ is redeeming me. He's giving me the identity of victor. And I want to show you how. Here is your practical how-to. Comes out of Hebrews, actually. You don't have to turn there. It's real short. Look at the screen. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, follow this, for the joy that was set before him endured. He was horrifically victimized, but it was temporary. And his eyes was on that which was eternal. And he endured for the joy that was set before him. Despising the shame is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what does it tell us to do? Consider him. Consider him who endured. Consider him who endured so that you may not grow weary when you're enduring, when you're going through this. Your practical how-to is endure with your eyes on what is to come, not on what you're going through. You see, practically speaking, at some point, you've got to choose. And I know this is easier said than done, or maybe it's not. Maybe that gives you your out for everything I said today, is to say it's not easy. You've got to choose. Do you want to be the victor, or do you want to be the victim? You can't be both. Do you want to be the victim of this world, or do you want to be a victor over this world? When someone comes to you and says, I'm so sorry for what happened to you, let me validate you. You have to choose to say, thank you for praying for me. I'm getting my validation in my private time when I pray and ask God to heal me from this. You are going to have to choose when someone, they don't even notice you when you walk in a room, but you're famous in heaven. Or you can walk in a room and everybody go, oh man, come, come here, we want to talk to you. We've heard what you've been through. Let us give you attention. You're going to have to choose to deny the bait of getting things in the wrong way and instead getting them from your father. Here's what this four-step process should look like. If we don't let the enemy lure us into his, here's what the process to healing is going to look like. First of all, we will be hurt. And I wish that weren't a part of the process, but the reality is we will be hurt. Number two, we have to find our attention, our value, and our validation from God in the healing process. Never from a human. Human validation is fleeting. Number three, you have to forgive. You've got to let go and let God. Number four, you need to take on the, victor, the identity of a victor, not that of a victim. Because you can't be both the victim and the victor can't be both the victim 
and the victor. I want to close by saying that nobody, nobody should ever have to go through the things that we all go through. None of us should have to endure pain and hurt and some of the horrific things that we've experienced. No one should ever be a victim again. Can somebody agree with me on that? So the question that I need to close and answer is the question that some of you are asking right now because you're not even hearing what I've said today. You're so angry at God. Because what's going on in your head is this. Why doesn't God stop letting things happen? Stop telling me how to get healed of it. Why doesn't he just stop it? Resonate to anybody? I want to tell you, that is exactly what he's doing. You see, this, this has an ending. And in this ending, every one of his children are perfectly glorified and never experience pain again. No one will ever betray you again. No one will ever hurt you again. Not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually. In this, there's nothing broken in the world. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth for his family to dwell with him. It tells us he will take away all pain, all suffering, all crying. There will be no more mourning. Everything will be exactly as your sense of justice demands that it will be. But you can't remove the hurt and the pain and the suffering as long as there are broken people in a broken world with the enemy still at work. And so God is removing all of that brokenness and he is working a plan. What I need you to hear me, if you haven't heard anything, you need to hear this. He didn't leave us here to just suffer. Sometimes that's our perspective. Well, you know, it's a crappy world and we go through crappy things and God's up there just twiddling his thumbs. He's just set a date and we're just waiting on the date. No, he didn't leave us here to suffer. He left us here to work. And the bad things that happen to us are the result of hazardous work conditions. we could set our eyes on the joy that is before us and not on what is happening to us then we too can endure so just like Jesus set your eyes on the joy that is before you not on what you're going through that's all I got that's a deep topic isn't it was not as funny as I like to be. I like for you guys to laugh a lot more and have a lot more fun, but I don't really know how to make that topic funny. But what I do hope is that it's been healing. I hope that some of you now know how to pull back a band-aid for something you've hidden for a very long time. And I hope you know now how to become a victor to stop being known for what has happened to you. I want to close by talking to those of you a minute ago I said God is working a plan he's preparing a place for his children for some of you you have yet to say that you are one of his children you have to come to this point where you recognize personally Jesus died for you and you want to live for him if you've never done that I want to help you do that here this morning you don't have to stand up or come down front we're all going to pray right where we're seated would you all just join me right where you are pray something like this to your help self and to God Lord Jesus I thank you 
that you died for me and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I thank you for being the ultimate victim so that I can become a victor. In my simple prayer here today, that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in God's kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.